morning journey. Philip Yancey, uh, the author, tells a story of some Americans in World War II who were in a German prison camp. And unbeknownst to the guards of the prison camp, they had built a makeshift radio so they could hear what was going on in the war. And one day news came over the secret radio that the German high command had actually surrendered, which was ending the war. But because of a communications breakdown or delay in that news getting out, the German guards of this camp actually didn't know this yet. It wasn't until four days later that the Americans woke to find the Germans had fled and they had left the gates unlocked and, and they were finally free. But in those three days in between, the prisoners still suffered as if the war was still going on. They still were beaten, they were still starved, they were still having all the things happen to them as if the war had not ended yet. They were still mocked, they were still abused, but they were changed, Yancey said. He said in those three days they would actually wave to the guards, they would laugh at the German shepherd dogs that ran around, they would tell jokes over their meals, and in the midst of their captivity, they sang because they knew that victory had already been won, even though those around them didn't know it yet. He, he said they were different because they knew salvation was sure and soon coming. Well, this morning, as we keep going through the book of Romans, we're going to be in Romans chapter 5, if you want to flip over there or scroll there on your Bible app. And in Romans chapter 5, the first 11 verses, our text is all about what we already have. It's, it's based on everything that Dave talked about the last couple of weeks, everything in chapter 4, because of what Jesus has done, because you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, because we've already been justified, we've already been made right with God, then all of these things are true. Romans 5 is this celebration that you and I as followers of Jesus know even if the world around us doesn't recognize the victory yet. In some ways, Romans 5 is, is a summary of everything we've talked about, and it's a preview of what's yet to come in the rest of the letter that Paul writes. So we're going to walk through this this morning, kind of almost verse by verse. In Romans chapter 5, just the first couple verses, he says, Therefore, because of everything we talked about last week and the week before, because you and I are fully convinced that God has done what he promised. Since we have been, already, we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Paul tells us that because of what Jesus has already done, you and I, we have peace with God, and we have access to God. See, Jesus brings us these things. Because Jesus has already died, because Jesus has rose from the dead, and if you are in Christ this morning, because you and I have already been justified, we have peace with God. We're actually put in a new position. That's what Paul's describing here, what we're going to call this morning positional peace. Paul says that because of Jesus, you and I have now been put in a position when we, where we are at peace with God. And that positional peace with God should always turn us to having what we'll call circumstantial peace 
in life. Because I have been made right and am at peace with God, I can find a peace in all circumstances that doesn't make any sense. See, our peace in God defies circumstances because it's rooted in something that's not circumstantial. See, your peace and my peace as followers of Jesus is rooted in something substantial, in something that's real. It's rooted in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. It's rooted in something that has already occurred. We have peace because of a victory that's already been obtained, even if those around us don't recognize it yet. Tony Marita, the Bible scholar, says this. He says, certain experiences in life, they can give you a, a sense of peace. But he said, ultimate peace, biblical peace, is not found in the gifts of creation, but it is rather found in the Creator Himself who has reconciled us to Him through Jesus. That's what Paul talks about in his letter to the Philippians, in Philippians 4, where Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, which makes no sense. That peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The positional peace that you and I have in God is what gives us circumstantial peace when the world doesn't make sense. My favorite phrase that Paul uses in all these 11 verses that we're going to look at this morning is found in verse 2 where Paul says, you now stand in grace. He says, you are now in this grace in which we stand. We, we stand in grace. We're, we're forgiven. We're empowered. We're hopeful. We're humbled. We're free. We're assured. We're joyful. We're new. We're unashamed. We have a purpose because we have a new position. I love the book of Romans. It's my favorite book in Scripture, and it has killed me that it took five chapters until I finally got to talk about Romans, all right? So buckle in, <laughs> okay? But I love the language that Paul uses in Romans. It's like he takes what we take for granted and goes, no, 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 no. This isn't some just easy, like, oh, whatever kind of thing. I love what Paul says here. He says, we're not just talking about, oh, your heart feels fine. Oh, your life. He says, no, you have a new position. He says, because of what Jesus has done, you stand in grace. And what that means is that's not where we were standing before. If, if you and I now, because of Jesus, stand in a position of grace, that means we stood somewhere else before Jesus. Paul tells us that before Jesus, we stood mired in sin, separated from God. Paul says, before Jesus, we were God's enemy. Think about that. The creator of the world, we were his enemy. We were at war with God. But through Jesus, he picked us up out of that position. He placed us out of sin as an enemy of God into a place of grace where we're now God's friend. We now have access to the one who used to be our enemy because through Jesus we become children of God. See, we were not children of God before Jesus. We were created by God. But Scripture says we are children of God through Jesus as adopted sons and daughters. And children can come before the king anytime they want. See, before, if, if you're not a child of the king, you have to look a certain way to come to the king, right? 
Like the king just doesn't let anybody in the throne room. We know that through history and through biblical history, right? You can't be disheveled in front of the king. You can't be messy in front of the king. You can't have screwed up and then come to the king unless you're the king's kid, right? See, the, the child of the king can enter the king's presence anytime he wants, no matter how he looks. That word access here that Paul uses, that word that we're able to come before God, it's, it's a word that actually means entrance to the king through the favor of another. We get into the king because of the favor of Jesus and because we have already been justified. You and I now have peace with God, with the king. We have access anytime we want to the king. Paul goes on in that verse and a little bit further. He says, through Jesus, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul says, because of what Jesus has already done, we rejoice in hope in every circumstance. Paul says, because of what Jesus has already done, you and I can be rejoicing in any circumstance, not because our circumstances are so great. He says, but we can rejoice because we have a hope that goes beyond our circumstances. Jesus brings perspective to my suffering. And I love in verse 5, there's a promise in verse 5 where Paul says this. He says, our hope will never put us to shame. We will never be worse off for putting our hope in Jesus. That's a promise. Paul says that no matter what you and I go through in this life, no matter how horrible our circumstances are, no matter how desperate our situation seems, there will never be a moment where we put our hope in Jesus and we are worse off because of it. What a great promise. And see, this biblical hope, again, Paul's using language that is deeper than what we normally think of. See, see biblical hope is not a wishful thinking kind of hope. Like, boy, I hope this happens. It's not that kind of hope. It's not the kind of hope that says, boy, I, I hope the Huskers win a national championship next year. Or more games than we lose for once, right? Can I get an amen? All right, it's not that kind of hope. It's not unrealistic hope, right? It's not wishful thinking. Paul says our hope is assured hope. It's tied to something that we already know to be true. We know that those whom God has already justified, those of us who have already been made right with God through Jesus, we know that's already happened. And because we know that's true, we can trust that the other part will be too. He says they will also be glorified. You and I have a hope that has already been assured that is beyond our everyday life. In 2 Peter, Peter says in chapter 3, according to his promise, according to God's promise, you and I are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. See, it's really important for you and I this morning, church, to have the right perspective and the right expectation of living for Jesus. 
See, living for Jesus is not, it is not free of suffering, right? It is not free of suffering. In fact, oftentimes it can be the opposite. Jesus told us it would be the opposite. But the perspective that followers of Jesus have is there may be suffering now, but there is glory coming later. And church, if you do not know Jesus, you do not have that promise. You cannot hope in the same way that those who know Jesus can. Suffering is a normal, everyday part of a fallen world. And the Christian life is no different than every other life, except that you and I endure suffering differently because we remember what has already happened. And we look forward to what we know is going to come. We look forward to a hope of glory that is coming when suffering will be no more. And that hope enables us to live in everyday, horrible, sinful, fallen circumstances. There's a story, supposedly, years and years ago, of a baseball player from LSU. And there was a year, I can't remember, I was there, uh, I, I don't know, i got to do the math, about 30 years ago probably, I was in junior high, and LSU won the College World Series down at Rosenblatt in Omaha. I was there, it was great, it was awesome. And supposedly there was a guy on that team who didn't graduate, and he kept, after the game, after the championship, he went up and he put a bunch of dirt from home plate in a bottle. And supposedly the next season he took the bottle of dirt everywhere they went. And when the games didn't go the way he wanted and when things got difficult or when things were seeming like they were spinning a little bit out of control, he would pull out this bottle of dirt and he would supposedly say to his team, he'd call him over, he'd open the cap and he'd say, fellas, get a whiff of this. <laughs> Which normally on a college baseball team, you don't want to do whatever he's talking about, right? But he says, get a whiff of this. And they would stick their face over this bottle of dirt and they would smell it and he would say, guys, that's Rosenblatt Stadium. He says, that's where we're going. Don't forget where we're going. Church, I, I think as followers of Jesus, sometimes what we need in the midst of life's struggles is just to get a whiff of the glory of God that's to come. I, I think that's why you and I have to be in God's Word daily. God's Word gives me a whiff of where I'm going I think that's why we have to worship together every week. It gives us a whiff of where we're going. I think that's why we take communion every week. It gives us a whiff of the hope that we have in Jesus. Church, sometimes when life seems like it's not going to go the way you want, when it seems like the score is insurmountable and victory cannot be attained, it's time to open the bottle and get a whiff of what Jesus has already won. And be reminded of what victory smells like. Because Paul tells us that you and I have a hope that is in a victory that's already been won and paid for. And Paul goes on. He's going to say my favorite verse in all of Scripture. He says, to the one, or he says in verse 5, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. It's my favorite verse in all of the Bible. He says, But God shows his love for us in this. 
while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. I love Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8 changed my life. Paul tells us that at the worst moment of my life, when I was the least like God, when I was the furthest from him, when I was living the most outside of his will, that's when Jesus looked at me and says, all right, buddy, I'll die for you now. Romans 5.8 tells us and it shows us that there is never a time that Jesus wouldn't have died for me. There's never a time that Jesus wouldn't have died for you. Romans 5.8 tells us that there is never a moment in anybody's life where Jesus would look at you and go, no, not today. See, because of what Jesus has done, you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, we know a love that is unlike any other love we have ever experienced. It's just different, right? Like God's love at the cross is it's actually magnified in two different ways. And, and one I think we talk about a lot, but the other one I don't know that we do. See, see, we understand that God's love is incredible by the cost of what he did, right? We, we talk about that a lot, right? That we know that God's love is insurmountable because he literally gave everything. He gave his entire son to die for us. The cost of what God had to do to show his love makes us understand how incredible and unexplainable that love is. But don't miss this. The other way that we know the greatness of God's love, it's shown by yours and mine. It's shown by our unworthiness of it, right? Right? Like, it's not just incredible. It's not just enough that Jesus would give his entire life for us, but he gave it for, for us. He gave it for somebody like me. And no offense, somebody like you. <laughs> right? Like, it's not just that he gave up his life for really good, holy people. He gave his life up for everyone. And if, if giving up his life for you isn't it, maybe you're a super good person. He gave up his life for the people you hate. He gave up his life for the people that we don't even want to know. God's love is unlike anything than we've ever experienced. At church, don't, don't miss this this morning. You and I, no offense, we are unexplainably undeserving of that kind of love. You and I are infinitely better off than we deserve, no matter what's going on in your life this morning. One of the commentators I read this week, he said the way he keeps perspective on, on the good that he has in Jesus is he said, I wake up every morning and I go, Welp, all right, God, not in hell today, better off than I deserve. <laughs> it's like, all right, I might try that, all <laughs> right? Well, God, not in hell today, better off than I deserve. Church, think of it this way. <clears throat> what Paul's describing is a love that honestly defies explanation. If Jesus, while he was hanging on the cross, if while Jesus was suffering the most painful death in the history of the world, if he stayed up there to save us, while we were still enemies of God. Don't miss that. When, when Jesus hung on the cross, you and I were still God's enemies. We were at war with God. If Jesus stayed up there for you and me while we were still enemies of God, 
then how much more is he going to keep us and provide for us now that we're his friends? If Jesus didn't give up on you while we were at war with God, why would he ever give up on you now that we're at peace? Paul goes on, and in verse 9, this is what he says. He says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received a reconciliation. Paul says the last thing that you and I have, because of what Jesus has already done, is we have assurance. We have assurance. The thing I love about these last two verses is it took me a little bit. I kept inserting a word that I thought was supposed to be there in verse 9. Like I, I, I literally caught myself reading it and putting a word in and then going, wait, that word's not there. It feels like in verse 9, the word how should be in there. Like it should be a question, right? Where Paul says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved from him by the wrath of God? It feels like that word how should be in there. Like it's a rhetorical question. Since we've been saved, well, gosh, how much more will it be now? But that word's not in there. Paul doesn't include the word how. You know why? Because it ain't a question. (laughs) It's a statement of fact. Paul says since, because of all the stuff we talked about the last two weeks, because we have now been justified by Jesus' blood, it's already happened. Because of that, much more, much more will we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Paul says it's going to be even better. You don't have to question it. It's a fact. Paul actually gives us all three tenses of our life in regard to salvation. Past, present, and future. Paul says in Christ we have been freed from our past. We're at peace with God. That's already happened. In our present we stand in grace, moment by moment, forgiven by God. And in Christ, we also look forward to the hope of glory that's coming in the future. Paul says, you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have assurance in your past, your present, and your future. Because the victory has already been won. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says, since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Let's, Let's put on the breastplate of faith and love in the helmet of the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but rather to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. We are justified by faith in the beginning. We are justified by faith now, and we will be justified by faith in the end. You can be assured of that. I want to read these 11 verses one more time. I know it seems a little redundant, but I got a couple minutes, so, and I'm in charge, so just listen. (laughs) 
But I want you to listen. There's a word in here that Paul uses in some form over and over again. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Jesus died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners... Jesus died for us. Since, therefore, we have been justified by or through Jesus' blood, how much more will we be saved by or through Jesus from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by or through the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by or through his life. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Over and over and over again, Paul makes it clear that all these rewards, all these blessings, all these good things that come from being justified, they come through someone. You cannot get them on your own. Apart from Jesus, they are impossible to receive. They must come through Jesus. I think I was in seventh or eighth grade, and I had just made me freshman. I had just started really getting into golf. And I had a cousin, I still have a cousin, um, who was a doctor, and he belonged to this super fancy private country club. And he invited me to go play. And I knew I was out of my element when he called and he said, hey, just so you know, you got to wear a shirt with a collar. It's like, uh-oh. <laughs> so gym shorts out. He's like, yeah. So we get there, and we pull into this super fancy place, and we park the car, and we get out, and there's a guy at our car. <laughs> and he says, Mr. Batten, can I get your clubs for you? I'm like, what? And he goes, and who is this gentleman with you? That's the only time in my life anybody's ever called me gentleman. And he said, this is my cousin, Justin. He goes, Mr. Ralston, can I get your clubs for you? I'm like, yes, you can. <laughs> All right. Finally. <laughs> they put our clubs in the cart. They had brought a cart out for us. We go to the clubhouse. They said, can we get you anything to drink? And my cousin says, yeah, put it on my tab. Sure thing, Mr. Batten. Anything to eat, Mr. Ralston? <laughs> yes. They bring out, they go, can we get you anything from the clubhouse? Golf balls, tees, <laughs> a new car maybe. I don't know, this is so great. We played 18 holes. Can I tell you something? I was so out of place at this place. I accidentally, don't tell my cousin, hopefully he's not listening because he wasn't looking. I accidentally ran over a flower bed with one of the golf carts. Like it was so apparent that I did not belong. But I got to go because of him. Now here's the deal. I kind of wanted to go again. But if I walked up there, no matter if I put on a suit and tie, they were not letting me in. I, I could only get in through him. It, it really is about who you know. 
And all the things that I enjoyed, I didn't get any of, they were not going to give me any of those by myself. Without my cousin, Mr. Ralston turns into who's this kid real fast. Like the idea that I could get in on my own was really ridiculous without him. Church, Paul is telling us that through Jesus, you and I have access to some things that we don't deserve. But he's super clear that without Jesus, we don't get any of them. Church, it really is about who you know this morning. And Paul says that in Jesus, because of what he's done through Jesus, you and I have everything. But without him, we got nothing. This text is a celebration. If you're in Christ, it's a joy. It's a relationship that should excite us. Because of Jesus, we have peace. Because of Jesus, we have access to God the Father. Because of Jesus, we have hope that surpasses understanding that nobody else understands. Because of Jesus, we have assurance of salvation now and forever. Because of Jesus, we know a love that nobody else knows. And that should make us celebrate. Bible commentator Tony Marita says this. He says, there's a big difference between saying I'm a Christian and actually enjoying God. He says, you and I are called to enjoy God because of what he's done. He says it's the same thing as it's one thing to be legally married and actually enjoy your spouse, right? He says, believers do not look at God as means to an end. We look at God as someone who is beautiful. And he is the end for which you and I have been created to glorify and enjoy him forever. So church, if Jesus is the Lord and Savior of your life, can I ask you one question? Are you enjoying him? Isn't, isn't that the relationship that you want? As the band comes this morning, as we get ready to worship through song, don't we want more than a formal agreement with Jesus? Don't we want more than a, a legal piece of paper? Isn't there more to this than just getting into heaven? Don't, don't you want a relationship where you enjoy God as much as he enjoys you? Jesus died so that you and I can have that kind of relationship. But church, you can only get it through Jesus. With Jesus, you've got everything and more. But without him, you've got nothing. It should bring great joy this morning if you sit and if you worship in Jesus. And church, if you're here this morning and, and you're not in him, boy, why not now? I can't even describe to you what you're missing. I can't even describe to you the gift that comes through Jesus. It's, it's literally everything. So I want to pray for us this morning. I want to pray just some simple words that Paul wrote in Colossians 3. 
And then we invite you to stand and sing. God, may the peace of Christ rule in our hearts this morning. May the peace of Christ rule in which we were indeed called to be one body under you. Jesus, may we be thankful. May we let the word of you, Jesus, the word of Christ, dwell in us richly. May it teach us and admonish us with wisdom. May we sing songs and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our heart to you, God. May we know what we have in you, Jesus. And may we worship you for it. Jesus, it is through you that we have life. It is through you that we have peace. It is through you that we have access to God the King. Jesus, it is through you that we have assurance. Jesus, it is through you that we know what love really is. Jesus, it is through you that we have hope that makes no sense to the rest of the world. And so, Jesus, this morning it is through you that we live. Jesus, it is through you that we sing. And Jesus, it is through you and your name that we pray. Amen.